This is Gabriel Carrillo from the EdTech Bytes podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you are listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And get ready, because the learning begins in 3, 2, 1. Hey, welcome back. Today I'm talking with Meg Medina. She's an award-winning and New York Times best-selling author who writes picture books as well as middle grade and young adult fiction. Matter of fact, she's a 2019 John Newberry Medal Award winner. That's right. So cool. Well, today she's sharing with us her summer reading list. And the idea here is simply that uh, let's give kids choice about uh, books to uh, try and figure out what they're interested in reading. And so she's going to share with us some titles from picture books all the way to YA fiction. Thanks for being here. Enjoy. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Meg Medina is an award-winning and New York Times best-selling author who writes picture books as well as middle grade and young adult fiction. Her works have been called heartbreaking, lyrical, and must-haves for every collection. Her titles include Mercy Suarez Changes Gears, who, which is a 2019 John Newberry Medal winner, which is really cool, and a 2019 Charlotte Huck Honor book. Burn Baby Burn, long-listed for the 2016 National Book Award, shortlisted for the Kirkus Prize, and a finalist for the Los Angeles Times Book Prize. Yaki Delgado Wants to Kick Your Ass, winner of the 2014 Pura Bell Award, uh, author Award, The Girl Who Could Silence the Wind, a 2012 Bank Street College Best Children's Book of the Year, Mango, Abuela, and Me, a 2016 Pura Belpre honor, Author Honor Book, and Tia Iza Wants a Car, winner of the 2012 it, um, Ezra Jack Keats New Writers Award. When she's not writing, Meg works on the community on community projects that support girls, Latino youth, and or literacy. She serves on the National Board of Advisors for the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators and is a faculty member of Hamline University's Masters of Fine Arts in Children's Literature. She lives with her family in Richmond, Virginia. Thanks for being here today, Meg. Thanks for joining me and say hi to everyone. Hi, everybody. It's great to be here. Well, it's so cool um, that we're talking, and uh, congratulations on the Newberry Award. That's so awesome. The, uh, the, <laughs> Thank you. Very cool. So uh, the, uh, uh, before we start talking, because we're, today we're going to focus on a summer reading list that you have, um, could we talk a little bit about how you started writing? How did you get started in writing? Sure. Um, I would say that I was always leaning toward writing. As a kid, it was something that I naturally did well. I liked story. I, um, I loved reading. It was just part of my DNA, I think. Um, but I was really scared to be a writer. So I did lots of almost writing. Like I taught writing. I was a writing teacher. I was an English teacher. I did freelance journalism. I, I did, um, you know, PR and press releases and that kind of thing, but always inside what I really wanted to do was write a novel. But it really wasn't until I was um, the year that I was 40 that I sort of said, okay, it's do or die. Um, and I quit my job. I was working at that time at a school that served um, children with learning disabilities. And I decided that although that was important work, I really wanted to give this a try. 
So I quit my job very abruptly. <laughs> I came home, I wrote a novel. My husband was terrified. Um, but it was my first novel, Milagros Girl from Away. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't look back. It's been a, it's been a nice run so far. Very cool. So uh, the uh, it and it, I think that's an understatement. Nice run. You've you've gotten quite a few awards and recognition there. So kudos on that. You know, you've been very successful. Where do you get your ideas or your inspiration for your books? Oh, I think like like all authors, just just living. That's the great misconception, especially among kids. Right? They think that their writers, the people behind the books that they love, are some sort of like otherworldly people that they live outside of the normal range of people that we do not shop at the grocery store, do laundry, those kinds of things. But the fact is, I think that writers just pay close attention to what's happening around them and the people around them. And in my case, I pay attention to my my memories and my impressions of really what happened to me as I was growing up. And the questions I had then, the things I couldn't ask adults that I had to make sense of myself. And I mine all of that memory plus what I see now all around me. And then in this strange little alchemy, it's like it's like being a Frankenstein kind of thing. I just create new characters and new situations that sort of get at that truth. So it's a little complicated, but it's... Um, I think you get your ideas really just from being aware of yourself and of the people around you. That's excellent. The uh, it, and I gotta I gotta say that must have been if, if we kind of just back up for just a minute. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I recently heard an author say uh, a very famous author make the comment that. Uh, um, he didn't know anything until he turned 40, and, uh, and that's actually when he be- he became famous. And I thought I think that's that's interesting what you just said because uh, that was a big uh, that I've heard that before, and I think that uh, that's that's interesting that you made that comment too. Yeah, I mean, I go back and forth on it. Sometimes I say, "Oh my gosh, I wish I had started earlier." Right? I wish I had started earlier so that I'd have many more years to write lots of YA. Now, you know, you you always think, "What if I had done X, Y, or Z?" But I think that I needed time to develop courage to take a risk to be a writer. I needed time to have perspective. Um, by the time I started writing, I was also a mother myself, and I got to see childhood from another vantage point. Um, and so all those things, I think, worked in my favor. So I don't know, 40 is not a bad, <laughs> it's not a bad deal. I loved that decade. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's, let's get into your summer reading list here. And I'm going to come back to some of your writing in just a minute. We got, uh, you've got uh, summer reading list that you'd like to share. And uh, uh, would you like to go ahead and start uh, talking about it just a little bit? Yeah, I would. But you know what? Before I say anything about a list, I'm going to say this, which is even more important. I really think that the summer is the time to let kids have choice over what they read. I think that during the school year, we give kids so many assignments. And sometimes even school districts will give, you know, summer, you know, like, and here's your summer learning packet so that you do not slide. And um, I always feel like The danger of that is that we don't give kids a space to develop their interests, to develop their um, uh, 
their own aesthetic in terms of what they want to reach for and read. So with any list, I think of it as a suggestion of things that I read and found cool, but that I think um, I really just want it to be a starting point. And there are so many places. If you go to a, a librarian and really find a good librarian, you'll find oodles of lists that um, for every taste and every interest um, that could be helpful. So here's just mine, which was just grueling to pick because I had to I set myself like at 24 titles and I'm not going to talk about 24 titles, but I, I set the whole group of them. I put them up on my website um, so people could see the full list, but you know, you pick 24 and there's like 50 others that you could have recommended a hundred, 500, you know, when you're a book freak, like I am, you can't stop. But these are books that I think, um, help kids you know read outside of their experience sometimes that both reflect in some cases it might reflect their own experience in some cases open the curtain and let them look at other people's lives so i'm going to start with picture book because i just love picture book i read them myself all the time even as a grown-up um and one of my favorites, of course, that, well, here are two that have just won the Caldecott Medal and the Caldecott Honor. The first is Hello Lighthouse by Sophie Blackall, which was this year's winner. It's hard to imagine how you can make something as static as a lighthouse, like a living, breathing, beautiful thing, but that's what she's done. This is, the illustrations are gorgeous and it's perfect for summer, the, the image of the lighthouse on the coast. And we follow a lighthouse keeper who lives in this sort of circular building with those tall um, spiral staircases. How does his wife get to him? How, what happens when he gets sick, when a ship crashes offshore? All of those things um, are uh, part of this book. And it's just absolutely beautiful. Another book that I love is called A Big Mooncake for Little Star, and it's by our beloved Grace Lin. So, of course, a mooncake is a Chinese dessert. And um, in this case, Little Star is a little girl who lives in the sky with her mother, who bakes her a mooncake and hangs it in the sky with only one direction. Little Star, do not eat this mooncake. And so what does Little Star do every <laughs> night? Of course, she eats a little bit of the mooncake until at the end she has no uh, mooncake left and her mother has to bake her another one. This is such a clever way of introducing kids to the notion of the waxing and waning of the moon. Um, and also a really authentic and sensitive way of introducing them to Chinese um, uh traditions and foods. So that's an example of a book that you could bring to a child that they can enjoy just for the story and also enjoy for all that it sort of offers them in expanding their understanding of the world. In that vein also, I'll pick another picture book here is um, My Papi Has a Motorcycle by Isabel Quintero. This is like the ultimate cool dad picture book. Imagine if your father came home from work every day and the first thing he said was, hey, let's get on my motorcycle and take a ride. Woo! So this is what happens. And they go through town and she sees all the changes in her town going on. And, um, you know, the taqueria, the place where they get their paletas, all of those things. It's such a beautiful um, it's beautifully illustrated by Zeke Pena. It's just a really sweet 
sweet story about a girl and her dad on this motorcycle. Um, should I go to chapter book or would you like to hear some other picture books? Let's, let's go to a couple more picture books before we... Um, okay, so one of the books that I love very much is um, Under My Hijab by Hannah Khan. So kids find are curious about things that seem unfamiliar to them. And the hijab for kids who are not Muslim might be one of them. And so in this beautifully illustrated um, picture book, we have a, a little girl wondering about what her hijab is going to look like one day because her mom, who's a doctor, pins it up one way. Her Girl Scout leader puts it under her hat another. Her sister matches them to all of her stylish clothes during the day. And we see all of these women, both with their hijab and then at home, what they look like with their families, with their hair loose and all of those things. I think this is a really important picture book in terms of just demystifying things and helping kids understand, you know, the world and their classmates around them. So that's a beautiful one. And very uh, much in line with that idea is um, a new picture book debut by Aisha Saeed. Um, It's called Bilal Cook's Doll. And um, oh my goodness, your friends come over and your dad announces that he's going to start cooking your very favorite food in the world. But uh uh-oh, What if your friends don't like it as much as you do? What if they think it's weird food? What if they think it tastes funny? This is what's happening for our narrator in this story. And so, um, you know, it's a doll, of course, is a, a sort of a stew made with lentil. It's very tasty. This is a story that will make you very hungry. And there's a (laughs) recipe in the back. So you could try this with your students. But again, I think it captures the heart of of, like that fear that kids have when they're from cultures outside of the US. They feel this notion of loving their culture and being proud of it, but also worried that maybe other people might not like it so much. This is a way to read in a way to help kids understand each other. So those are my favorite picture book picks. But of course, kids move on from there, right? And so then there's chapter books, which is fabulous. So in chapter books, I picked a lot of series because I think the summertime is the best time to get hooked on a series. You finish one book at the pool, you get another one for later on in the evening. It's fabulous. I happen to love the series A Boy Called Bat by uh, Alana Arnold. Alana is a talented author across every age range. She just won the Prince Award for her YA novel, Damsel. But in this chapter book series, um, we meet Bat, a young boy whose mom is a veterinarian, and they find a baby skunk who doesn't have a mother So Bat decides that he is the kid who can raise this um, skunk kit by himself with the help, of course, of the world-renowned skunk expert who becomes something of a pen pal. So, you know, a puppy or a kitten is one thing, but raising a skunk (laughs) has some problems, as you can imagine, right? (laughs) Right. And so that's the tension of this series. Like, what's going to happen when the skunk realizes it can spray everything in its path, right? Um, But over the course of these three charming, charming books, 
we move into the world of Bat, who is a boy on the autism spectrum. And we see all of those things that he can do, all of his glorious abilities, his attention to detail, his focus on this little skunk kit, his frankness, the way he connects with friends, and sometimes the way that those connections get wonky. It's a beautiful story. I think kids will really love it. Um, another one that I love, and she's not related to me despite the name, is Juana and Lucas, Big Problemas. And that is by Juana Medina. Um, so in this book, little Juana lives in Colombia with her family who include doctors and artists and professors. And of course, she also lives with her beloved dog, Lucas. But what happens when mommy and her friend decide that they're in love and they are going to get married. Juana Medina has captured the world of childhood so well, but what I, and her illustrations are clean and sparse, they're colorful, she's really funny. But what I love about this picture book is that it brings us Latin America in a way that is sort of um, refreshing in its treatment of Latin America, not as um, the way that we are hearing, certainly in the news, it's not a disparaging um, representation, but actually, you know, a, a middle-class, upper-middle-class family. And I think that those representations are important. Otherwise, kids default to the stereotype, and that's a dangerous thing. So Juana and Lucas, big problemas, it's wonderful. And then, of course, my last series that I absolutely love her chapter book is Dory Phantasmagory. Oh, my gosh, I can't get enough of this pain in the neck girl. <laughs> you know how it is to be the youngest in a family, right? Your brothers and sisters, they don't want to talk to you. They say you eat funny, that you smell. They're always saying, Mom, get her out of here, etc. This captures that little girl and all the ways that she does, that she becomes annoying just to find her way into their heart. And what makes her even funnier is, of course, she has this vivid imagination with imaginary friends, imaginary enemies, um, you know, escapes inside the pages of a book. It's glorious. The newest installation in this series will be coming out in the fall. So this is a great time to read all of the um, earlier Phantasmagory books. Um, for middle grade, I am currently in love with one called New Kid. It's a graphic novel by Jerry Craft. And here I really feel like I have to take a stand because as I hear out on the street that sometimes when kids come to their parents with a graphic novel, because it has lots of pictures and it's laid out in comic book form, we get very well-intentioned adults saying, get a real book or no, you could read that, but I, I don't want you to get a graphic novel as though the kid is wasting time. Right. I think that's such a mistake. Um, graphic novels have emerged. They have arrived. Look at last year, new um, Kiddo, Hey Kiddo by uh, Jarek Krasowska that won so many awards and recognitions and accolades. El Defo by C.C. Bell. But here, New Kid by Jerry Craft. We have 12-year-old Jordan who's going to be the new kid at his new school, a sort of highfalutin uh, school that he's gotten a chance to attend very far and very different from the neighborhood that he's from. Um, 
you can enjoy this book on so many levels. It's funny. It completely captures middle school and all of that insanity that we know well. (laughs) But it also captures, Steve, the nuances, uh, the racial nuances, the cultural nuances of schools as we try to build communities that feel safe and welcoming to everyone. We have to learn to do that. Right. And this book really captures that. I think Jerry Craft has done such a beautiful job. Easily one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite books this um, summer. Another one that might be good for summer is Silver Meadows Summer by Emma Otegi. Um, So what happens when a kid has to move from really far away into a new community. This is what happens to Carolina, who has to move from Puerto Rico all the way to upstate New York. Let that just sit in your head for a second. It's just so different, right? But she comes, her father loses his job and her family moves in with relatives. And um, while there, she signs up for the Silver Silver Meadows Summer Camp. Um, And she befriends Jennifer, who is sort of an artsy outcast and together they have to forge a friendship that's ultimately about saving the summer camp and about standing up for what you believe. This novel incorporates poetry, it incorporates, um, you know, themes of how is it that we find what's similar in a new place to what we left behind? How do we move forward? How do we define our identity? How do we welcome new experiences? I I love this. It's an elegant, quiet read. Um, so, and I, I just think Emma did a terrific job. I believe it is her middle grade debut. She wrote a picture book. Uh, her very first debut was a picture book about the famous poet Jose Marti, Cuban poet. Um, and this is uh, her first entree into middle grade. Another one that I love is called The Benefits of Being an Octopus by Anne Braden. Oh my goodness. Ah, this is a look at poverty. What it is to be a kid in poverty. Zoe is in the seventh grade. She's living in a trailer that belongs to her mom's newest boyfriend. And it's the most stable housing they've ever had. So what that means is that everybody has to remain happy right? We can't upset this apple cart. And even when this boyfriend isn't such a nice guy at all, Zoe's saddled with the responsibility of caring with her siblings, keeping them quiet, making sure they're not annoying to him, and for keeping the peace at all costs. But what I love about this is that she joins debate club. She finds her voice And that's sometimes hard when you're economically really disadvantaged, when things at home are really broken. She finds an example of how it is that we can find a point, defend it, say what we mean. And ultimately that's going to help her and her mother change their circumstances. It is a beautiful book, a heartbreaking book, but just a sensitive look, I think at economic need. Um, I guess one more. How about one more for um, the middle grade? And I would say the Vanderbeeker series. Oh, my goodness. By Karina Yang Glazer. This is a New York Times bestselling series. So I think people are familiar with it. But you could come into this series at any point. I think the first one was the Vanderbeekers of 140. 
41st Street. I came in with the Vanderbeekers and the uh, Secret Garden. And here's the thing. I want to be friends with the Vanderbeekers. I want to live next door to them in their Harlem brownstone. You can feel the Harlem neighborhood. And, and each one of these siblings, there's five of them, You each one of them is so distinct. You can just feel that kid and get right into their personality. And it's that sweet spot of middle grade where they're solving problems and learning how to, in, this, in the secret garden, they're building a community garden in secret without anyone knowing that they're building one of those gardens that happen in between buildings in New York. Um, you know, is the land going to be sold? Is it going to become condos? That kind of thing. But it's the sweet spot of like a real life problem and a children solving the problem with um, the innocence that still belongs to kids who are 9, 10, 11. I just love this series. It's an interracial family. It's a completely diverse neighborhood. Um, it's just delicious. I love this one. Um, and then one more, I would say, which is the debut that I have really loved, The True History of Lindy B. Hawkins by Gail Shepard. This one is actually one of the most exciting debuts I've read in a long time. It's set in the early 80s in Tennessee, and Lindy B. Hawkins is a history buff. But trouble is brewing with her dad, who is drinking increasingly and acting really erratically. He has served in the Vietnam War, um, and he's returned a very different man, although no one in the family or in the community really wants to acknowledge the problem, and not, especially not her grandmother, who wants to keep all family business in the family. And she's one of those really harsh very well um, well thought of grandmothers in the community. She's really a tough cookie. And this is not uh, Lindy's favorite person in the world. I don't, you know, and I think kids can relate to that, that one relative who drives you nutty, right? And <laughs> oh, yes. you think, I'm pretty sure this person doesn't like me at all. <laughs> um, that is the story. But it's so, there's so many historical factors here that you can explore as you're reading the Vietnam War, um, Tennessee, like military communities, uh, post-traumatic stress, like there's a million ways. And you can also just enjoy this book for who Lindy is. It has such true voice. Um, this girl just, you can hear her clear as a bell. It's a beautiful beginning. And then I would also like to toss out here, um, let's see, oh, you know, we all know a kid who says they're not scared of anything, right? <laughs> this is one for them. How about The Jumbies by Tracy Baptist? This, this is a ghost story set um, around Caribbean folklore. So Corinne lives on an island in the Caribbean, Corinne Lemaire, and she's one tough girl, not afraid of anything. And these bullies steal her mother's necklace. Her mother is deceased and they tie it around. I think it's a dog. And the the animal goes running into the, the forest and Corinne doesn't give another thought to running into the forest after it to get that necklace, completely disregarding all of the warnings of all of the villagers about what's in this forest, the Jumbies, who are creatures of the night who wait and watch for the perfect time to attack. 
this is a series. It's gonna. It has two books out right now. I think the third comes out later in the summer or early fall. It's spine tingling and scary and lots of fighting and so on. So I think this is this is the book you want to give the kid who says, "I'm not scared of anything," or "That's a baby <laughs> book," or anything like that. Okay, let's see how you do with this one. Nice. Is what you want to tell them. Um, and then I have a few for young adults. Um, so many good things. I'm going to start today with Spin by Lamar Giles. When D- teen DJ uh, sensation Parsec is found dead in her studio, her two dueling best friends have to pick up the trail that the police have let gone cold. I love this novel because it is a whodunit, like a really fast paced on the edge of your seat whodunit for teens. And so um, it has all of the elements that make you like chew your nails, the rabid fans base that DJ Parsec had and who would stop at nothing. Right. Um, The shameless uh, record producer who has a lot to lose these two friends with very different agendas for their, their friendship. Um, it's and of course, you know, the love interests that aren't really all that they seem. So it's got all of these parts that cook together into a real page turner. Lamar uh, Giles has done a terrific job here. Tight dialogue and, and pacing. You won't be able to put it down. And I think teens will especially love it because it's very steeped in, uh, in music and rap and hip hop and so on. So it's really solid. I, I love this one. Um, And then I'm going to go back in time for one that I have always loved very much. This one is called More Happy Than Not by Adam Silvera. So here's the thing. Adam has written many, many novels since I think this one came out in 2015. He has many novels since, including um, a bestseller with Becky Abertali. Um, But this one is my sentimental favorite. This is a fantasy in the near future. Right. And so you're reading it and it feels like now, but there are fantastical elements so that, you know, eventually that it's not actually now. But um, in this novel, what happens is that Aaron Soto is a teenage boy. He lives with his mom and his brother, and all of them are trying to make sense of the suicide of Aaron's um, less than ideal stepfather uh, in the bathtub. Um, When his girlfriend Genevieve leaves, leaves for the summer, he meets Thomas for whom he starts to develop um, some serious feeling, a fact that doesn't go unnoticed by his Bronx crew and they're not having it. So should he turn to the Leto Institute to change those feelings? This is a novel about sexual orientation, about coming out, about the practice of conversion therapies. It always felt to me, this novel, as stunningly honest um, and a step into the Bronx and to the lives of queer Latinx boys. I think uh, I, he's written so many things that I love, but this one for me is his gold standard. I love this book and I think that um, it should be on people's shelves. Um, and I'm going to throw in a poetry one. How about that? Okay. Um, yeah, I'm going to re- throw in this one. Um, it's actually middle grade poetry. I have two poetry ones. One is Emma in the uh, Emmy. I'm sorry, Emmy in the Key of Code by Amy Lucido, also a debut. Okay, so 
I don't know what your parents are like, but how horrible it must be to have super talented parents when you do not have a talent. And this is Emmy's plight. Her parents are both musicians and she has not one bit of musical talent inside her. She goes to school though. She's going to be a new kid in school again, horrible experience. And um, she joins a coding club, computer coding. So this is a novel in verse. This is a poetry novel about computer coding. So if you can imagine, I think my personal view is that mathematics at its farthest reaches becomes artistic again. If you've ever seen math drawn or graphs, or I mean, it's a beautiful artistic principle. Most of us don't get there because we're still trying to figure out A squared plus B squared equals C squared. But for mathematicians, that artistic bend is there at the farthest reaches. And I think this novel sort of captures that because the coding, the, the, the language of coding, how we code, there it is in the pages. I felt like I learned so much. Like for people who are really interested in STEM and STEAM, this is the one. Um, it's really clever. So I would throw that in there. And of course, I'm going to advocate for um, our newest um, poet laureate, Naomi Shihab Nye. Um, she's the poet laureate for young people. I think people should pick up A Maze Me, um, Poems for Girls. It's a bare little volume, but just delicious. And I think um, everyone should introduce themselves to our Poet Laureate for young people. So that's what some of what I've got. Does any any of that sound like uh, it, it's intriguing to you? Very much so. As a matter of fact, I want to go check out The Boy Called Bat. The, uh, that sounds, oh, yeah. sounds right up yes. my, my alley there. I and I have the whole list is on my website, www.megmedina.com. There are more titles on there and people can take a look and, uh, you know, just tool around, Very tool cool. around and experiment with new things. Awesome. I will, I'll have the, I'll have a link on my show notes to, uh, to your page there so they can go check out that list. I did, and I got to make sure that I, I say something because you, know, you talked about this earlier, which is the idea of it's summertime. It's, it's time to let the kids help them, um, let them make some choices about reading, um, finding what they read, what they like. And I think that's such a great idea. I mean, so myself after, uh, you know, I, I devour different types of books and, uh, and uh, summertime is that best time to just keep reading. Although during the year I have multiple ones going. <laughs> so. yeah, yeah, me too. But, you know, there's something about choice. There's something about having the power about how you're going to spend your imaginative time, your private time. I think we need to let kids. I think that is the surest way to develop readers, honestly. Um, and I, I think the summer is the perfect time to do that. Before we go, and I've loved this talk today because I love the idea of a, a summer reading list, the idea of kids having, you know, the, the choice to start choosing things they want to read or figure out what they want to read, even experiment with some of the books. The, uh, if someone wanted to connect further with you or find out more about uh, the different books that you write, where would you send them to? Oh, I would absolutely send them to my website, www 
www.megmedina.com. You can also follow me on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, but my website is pretty much the place where you can get all the scoop on what I'm writing, what I'm doing. I maintain a blog on there and I'm, I'm pretty active on that. So I'm looking forward to connecting with them. Excellent. Meg, thank you for talking with us today. Um, I can't tell you enough. It's been fun. I appreciate you sharing your reading list. Congratulations on the Newberry Award again. And I look forward to talking with you, hopefully not too far down the road, about a couple of your books. Okay, sure thing. Be well. Thanks so much. Hey, have you got some thoughts, questions, or ideas? I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me through my email at stephenmiletto at gmail.com. Stephen spelled with a V and Mileto is M-I-L-E-T-T-O. And that's at gmail.com. Or if you're in the United States or Canada, you can call my Google voice number at 478-353-5471. Love to hear from you. Thanks. Take care now. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.